You are listening to the Life Church podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our Life Crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Nathan Peternell. Hey, how many of you guys have ever seen The Princess Bride? Okay, so actually, do you know that it's been 37 years since that movie came out? 37 years. My wife and I, uh, last week, um, we went, now I am a huge Princess Bride fan. It's one of my favorite movies. I am probably not exaggerating to tell you that I've seen it over 50 times, and I've, I've got most of it memorized, and I can do most of the accents. Um, I love that movie. And uh, so the guy who plays Wesley, uh, Carrie Ellis, uh, he was actually coming to Anderson. My wife saw it on Facebook or something like that. We got tickets to go watch the, watch the movie, rescreen it in a huge uh, theater. And then uh, we got the VIP tickets so we could go back and meet him and get a picture taken with him. And um, so... When I was a little guy, there were probably two movie stars that I know that I really enjoyed watching, and it would have been like Tom Cruise and, and Wesley from The Princess Bride. So um, if, if you've seen the movie, you know that there's this part in it that it talks about um, ultimate suffering, right? All of a sudden, he, he goes and he uh, he's being tortured by Prince Humperdinck. Prince Humperdinck says, nobody is ever going to, don't laugh, it's, that's his name, Prince Humperdinck. Prince, <laughs> Prince Humperdinck says, nobody in a hundred years is ever going to suffer like you suffered. And so he, he, he just turns on the machine, which is torturing him. And, and Wesley starts to cry out. His heart starts to cry out. And it's screaming, and everybody stops. Everybody in the whole kingdom can hear it, even though he's buried in the pit of despair. And as they can hear it, they, they stop, and Indigo, he stops and says, you hear that, Fezzik? And Fezzik is Andre the Giant, right? He says, you hear that? That's the sound of ultimate suffering. He says, how do you know? He says, because that's, that's the sound my heart made when my dad died right? And now, who else has the right for ultimate suffering but Wesley, because his true love is about to marry Prince Humperdinck in little less than half an hour. <laughs> and so, you get this, just this terrible sound of ultimate suffering. And, you know, when you stop and think about ultimate suffering and where we've been in the text, um, in this text today, David is going to learn that his son is dead. And I don't know if, any, if there's anyone in here that you've ever lost a child. But you may know of someone who lost a child. And it is, you know, a lot of marriages don't make it when a child dies. They could have had a pretty strong marriage before that, but when a child dies... All of a sudden, that, cu that couple, they just can't. To look at each other is to only see that child in each other's face. It's very sad. Um, and, you know, it's one thing if you lose your child because of something that they did. 
It's another thing to lose your child if it's something you did. And everything in David's life that's all been happening to him is a result of his own decisions and the consequences that just keep coming back after him. Um, I like uh, Mel Gibson, too, as an actor. Have you seen The Patriot? Okay, in the movie The Patriot, he says, the, the thing I was, the, the thing that I feared the greatest all my life, the thing I feared the greatest has come back to find me, right? That his, his things that he did when he was younger, the sowing and the reaping of his life were going to turn around, they were going to hit him and affect his children, and, and that's what happens, Right? It's one thing when the enemy attacks you or me, but it's entirely another when the enemy attacks our children. You can't feel like there's any peace in your life when your kids are under attack. And so this is just kind of a tough text today because Absalom, who is the rebel's son, well, I should say it like this, who was the rebel son of King David, has been slain in a tree. He's been killed by his cousin Joab. He was hung up by his hair, caught in a terebinth tree, dangling between heaven and earth. And Joab was a ruthless man. He, he knew what David was like. And if you remember back in 1 Samuel, remember when David had opportunity to kill Saul over and over and over again and wouldn't do it? He wouldn't do it because he said, well, you know, look, that's for God to do it, not for me to do it. Well, Joab was one of the guys that was constantly having to go through all those situations, having to run for his life and hide in caves and all this stuff. And Joab, he's like, forget this stuff, man. No, I get a chance to kill this this, this young man, I'm doing it. Even though he was told, don't you touch that young man. When, when he said it, the young man, Absalom, he's saying it, don't touch my boy. And he told his three generals, he said all three of them, everybody heard David say it. No one had any excuse. Do not kill him. But Joab doesn't care. He knows that as long as Absalom is alive, there's a potential for this war to continue and there's going to be a lot more bloodshed. And I can't say that Joab's logic is not probably factual. But he was told not to do it. So he kills, he kills him. And the last verse that we touched on last week, and um, I just want to touch on, we're going to start with that verse again, and then we'll get going here, but it, it says, now Absalom in his lifetime had taken and set up for himself a pillar, which is in the king's valley. For he said, I have no son to preserve my name. And so he named the pillar after his own name, and it was called Absalom's monument to this day. Now, the Bible tells us that he had three sons and one daughter. The daughter he named Tamar after his sister who had gotten raped by, um, by his brother. Thank you, man. And um, I'd like to tell you it's going to get better. It's probably not going to get better. But it could. I, uh, oh, by the way, have you guys taken like DayQuil? 
Yeah, that stuff makes me like sea sparkles. <laughs> it might not have been the best thing for me to take this morning. <laughs> I'm like, I feel a little woozy. This is <clears throat> anyway. So Absalom, he has three sons, but it, it turns out that he um, he he goes and and he builds himself a monument saying, I don't have any sons. So the question is, what happened to his sons? It's possible that his sons have just died. And which means that Absalom has gone through a bunch of grief and loss. And he's got a lot of bitterness because isn't that a very easy when you go through grief and loss? If you don't, if you don't process that in a healthy way, boy, you can very easily get very angry at God over that situation but whatever he does for whatever reason he doesn't have any sons left he builds a monument to himself i have no son i will preserve my name and it's in the kidron valley and it's actually um there is something today called um absalom's monument it's actually not from this time period it actually dates from the um uh from the second temple period uh, about 2,000 years ago, but they still call it that today. And if you had, if your kids were acting up, you would take your kids and you would walk by Absalom's monument. And there you would teach your kids to curse at the monument, to spit at the monument, and to throw stones at the monument. Why? Because Absalom is the great example in the scripture that says that if you have a child that will not do what is right, you were to take that kid out to the, to the, um, outside the city gate and the men of the town were to stone him together. And then it would put the fear of God back into all the people. I mean, could you imagine if we practiced this in the United States today? I, I bet you we'd have better grades at school. Right? But that's what they would do. And so the, the, the monument was set up to be sure that kids knew this is the ultimate rebellion and we don't want you to do anything like this. And they would spit and hurl stones. Normally, if somebody builds you a monument, they build it to you after you're dead because they liked you. This guy builds himself a monument. A little narcissist much, right? But that's what he does. And, and so he's now dead. They've thrown him in a pit. They've covered it over with stones. And then they need to send the message back to David. Verse 19. Then Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok, the priest, said, please let me run and bring the king news that the Lord has freed him from the hands of his enemies. I just want to say this. Just because you could have news doesn't make the news that you bring good news. Right? Just because you could be the bringer of news doesn't always mean that that's wisdom. And so, Ahimaaz, who has been part of the spy network, he, he just wants to bring David news because a lot of times what kings would do is they would offer some kind of a reward as a result of that. But be careful what news you bring. He says, please 
Let me run and bring the king news that the Lord has freed him from the hands of his enemies. Watch what Joab does, though. But Joab said to him, You are not the man to carry news this day, but you shall carry news another day. However, you shall, not, or you shall carry no news today because the king's son is dead. Now, Joab knows David really well. And he knows that David is a, a very emotional man. David is given to some highs. He's given to some lows. David, David, you can't always determine what David's going to do. There have been messengers that have come and brought bad news to David. He's killed those messengers because they tried to take credit for killing the Lord's anointed. So you just don't know what David's going to do. And Joab is actually trying to help this young man and says, don't go running out with this message right now. Um, this news is going to be very hard to hear. You don't want to deliver that message. Now, it'd be easy to think, well, the, the king's enemies are dead. That's good news. Well, not everybody hears the news the same way. And so, then Joab said to the Cushite, go and tell the king what you have seen. And so the Cushite bowed and to Joab and he ran. A Cushite was a man who was from Ethiopia or Nubia. Um, he said, uh, you, you go ahead and take that message. But watch what Ahimaaz does. He has the son of Zadok. He comes once more to Joab and he says, but whatever happens, please let me go also after the Cushite. And Joab said, why would you run, my son, since you have no reward for your going? Good news would bring a good reward, but ill news is an ill guest. Like, don't, you, you're, you don't have the message that he wants to hear. Now, the Bible tells us how lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. So, I want you to kind of be thinking about this in two ways. It's just the story that we're going to look at at face value, but I also want you to be thinking about when we bring the good news, are we bringing the complete good news? So just kind of let that simmer in as we continue to go through the passage. But he says, but whatever happens, he said, I will run. So he said, okay, run. Then Ahimaaz ran by way of the plain, and he passed up the Cushite. Now David was sitting between the two gates, and the watchman went up to the roof on the gate of the wall, and he raised his eyes, and he looked, and behold, a man was running by himself. And the watchman called, and he told the king, and the king said, if he is by himself, there is good news in his mouth. And he came nearer and nearer. I got thinking, why in the world would you say that if there's just one person, that's good news? I, that kind of stumped me. I think the reason is, is because if you had many people running, that would mean that you got routed on the, on the field. So there'd be a lot of people running back with news. But if there's just one, that means that they've probably got everything under control and this is a specially sent messenger. Then the watchman saw another man running, and the watchman called to the gatekeeper, and he said, Behold, another man running by himself. 
And the king said, this one also is bringing good news. Now you can get a sense in David here that he has high hopes. I mean, this is the most critical battle for him. If this one doesn't go well, his reign is over. His life is probably over. And, and yet, he, he's like, oh, that's going to be good news, and that's going to be good news. Uh, are there any optimists in the crowd? I am. I'm an optimist all the time. I remember one time my wife and I moved into this house, and, uh, and it was in Brownsburg. And it was all cornfields before that. We had moved real last minute kind of stuff. We weren't really prepared. We had Jonathan. He was just in his little car carrier. And, and, uh, and I, you know, we got done moving into the house. I was so exhausted. I told Chrissy, you just, we didn't even get a bed set up. I said, you just sleep on the couch. I'll sleep on the floor. And she goes, there's spiders everywhere. And I said, ah, don't worry about it. She goes, those spiders could bite you. She doesn't like spiders. And uh, I said, no, they won't bite me, honey. Don't worry. And, and she goes, you could sleep up here on this couch. And I go, honey, everything's going to be fine. So I wake up in the morning. Sure enough, spiders bit me right on the face. And my eye twitched for six months. So... You can be an optimist, doesn't always work out well. But David's hopes are high. And the watchman said, I think that the running of the first one is like the running of Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok. And the king said, this is a good man, and he comes with good news. You get just everything about him. He just wants good news. And Ahimaaz called and he said to the king, all is well. And he prostrated himself before the king with his face to the ground, and he said, Blessed is the Lord your God, who has delivered up the men who lifted their hands against my Lord the king. This man is running without a message. You know, there's a lot of people, they want to just start preaching. You better have a message. I'm not saying you have to have tons of experience all through your life, but you got to know who you're preaching about. you got to know what you're saying. The good news has to be defined. And if it's not defined, you can't just talk about God loves us. How many know that God loves us just isn't enough? There's, that, that tells us the truth. Now, everybody's been talking about these Super Bowl ads. He gets us, right? Is that what it was called? Yeah. And then it's, it's it, you know, everybody's been going back and forth. Are these good ads? Are they bad ads? Are they, are they, are they saying the full message? What are they leaving out? You know, the, the reality is, is that when we preach the good news, the good news has many aspects to it, and it all must be there for it to be good news. We can't just say God loves us without talking about repentance. We can't just say, hey, you can repent without understanding that God loves us so greatly that the, 
that the blood of the Lamb covers over all of our sins. And now there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Like, we have to share the totality of the good news. It says, all is well. The man's running without a message, or at the very least, he's declaring a message. Notice what he's not saying that he knows. Does Ahimez know that the king's son is dead? Yes, he does. But he doesn't say it. Now, I think in our world, in our, in our churches, we have a lot of things that we know people don't want to hear. But I think that love says what people need to hear, not what they want to hear. It says all the truth. That's why, what do, what do we say? When we, we call ourselves full gospel people, it means that we preach all of the counsel of the Bible. We don't just pick the parts we like and disregard those parts we don't like. Why? Because all of this is God-breathed. All of it is useful for correction and, and, and training and rebuke. And all of it is, is, is good for us. All of it is breathed by the Spirit. All of it is pertinent to us today. We cannot just come with just the parts of the message we want to bring. We have to bring it all. He doesn't want to tell the the part that's not going to go over so well. And the king said, "Is it? look what the king wants to know. Is it well with the young man Absalom? Is my boy alive? And Ahimez answered, Watch him dodge and evade. When Joab sent the king's servant and your servant, I saw a great tumult, but I, I did not know what it was. Now wait a minute. Bro is lying. He's lying. And I wonder how many preachers in our pulpits are doing the same thing. That they're just not telling the truth. They know because this book says it. See, here's the problem with a lot of Christians today. They trust their preacher more than they trust their Bible. They trust their priest more than they trust their Bible. I would rather you believe your Bible more than you believe us. And then whenever you find that we are telling you what the Bible says, then, then say, hey, thanks for being a good teacher. Amen? Amen. This guy goes, oh, no, that, that part, that died. You know, maybe Joab was right. Maybe I shouldn't have shown up and done this. Maybe this was a bad idea. I, I shouldn't have brought this part of the message. He liked the part where he could say all is well. He liked the part where he could say you're blessed and you're delivered. And he liked the part where he says a lot's happened. But he knew that the king's son was dead and he wouldn't tell him. We need to be sure that we bring all the good news. We, re we bring the reality of what the good news means regardless of whether the audience likes the outcome. Wokeness is killing churches everywhere in America. 
They are emptying out churches. Churches that are growing are churches that are telling you what you don't want to hear. Wounds of a friend are faithful. You, you Look, you know that the idea of preaching is the idea that we talk about the eternal reward. It's not just that you have to get up and deliver the message in a certain way. I had some people tell me, you're a good teacher, you're just not a good preacher. I'm like, what's that mean? Because, you know, if I was preaching, then I would be talking like this all the time and I would be going like this and you would be really excited because this is preaching. I guess this is not. (laughs) Preaching is simply declaring what God has said. Whether you're the apostle, the prophet, the pastor, the teacher, the evangelist, when you are declaring what God has said, you're preaching. It doesn't matter really about your style. But you are telling people about the reward. What is it that we do as pastors? Our idea of this is to constantly get you guys to come out of the temporal and go back to the eternal. Does that make sense? That's preaching. That's preaching. You live in the temporal all the time. It's so easy to just get caught up in the illusion of everything that hits you every single day. But preaching brings you back to reality. Not reality as your eyes see. Reality as your spirit knows. King said, turn aside and stand here. So he turned aside and he stood still. And You don't have what my heart longs to know, Ahimaaz. I, I, I don't want what you have for me right now. I want to hear the answer to my question. Verse 31, Behold, the Cushite arrived, and the Cushite said, Let my lord the king receive good news. For the Lord has freed you this day from the hand of those who rose up against you. You are, f- listen to his message of the good news, you are free and the enemy is defeated. Okay, now wait. And then the king said to the Cushite, Is it well with the young man Absalom? And the Cushite answered, Let the enemies of my lord the king and all who rise up against you for evil be as that young man. Oh. This is his boy. You just said, may all your enemies end up dead like your son. But he says it with a straight face, not knowing what the consequences may be. He says the truth, but that was love. I, I, guys, I have to tell you something. Here at Life Church, we are going to tell you the truth in love but it may sting and it is not because we delight to hurt anybody it's because we would rather have you in the life to come than in our than in our pews right now i'm not worried about building a big church i'm worried about building a church that's truthful to the gospel 
I'm worried about making sure we're faithful to the word of God and faithful to the king and faithful to tell hurting and wounded people what they need to hear. The son of David was dead. Now, I want you to look at this last verse we're going to cover. I want you to see how David's heart breaks when he hears this news. We talked before about ultimate suffering. The king was deeply moved. He went up to the chamber over the gate and he wept. And thus he said as he walked, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. You can just imagine the grief, right? Because Absalom's not just a bad kid. He's a kid that was poorly fathered. And he's the result of David's failure. And when you know that your failure has cost your child dearly, boy, that is one that will weigh on you. I've watched some of my decisions hurt my kids. Um, my son, Jonathan, uh, I, I put my kids in a public school, and um, it was not what my wife wanted for, for her kids. Uh, she wanted them homeschooled or wanted them in private school. I had gone through private school, and I didn't want to. I didn't want to. Uh, I don't know. I, I guess I felt like you can find bad kids at a private school, too. So I thought, well, I really want my kids to be a light in the darkness. I'm going to send them into the public school. And I told my wife that I would pull them out. If I saw them being too influenced by the world, I would pull them out. And, um, you know, just, there was a lot of stuff, you see. Just the bus. The bus is just one thing, right? And so, you know, there might be some of you that have younger kids this is for you guys because i because if you could make a decision based on my stupidity then i'd be good for you um but i watched as public school took a toll on my children primarily on my son and i watched him being pulled to he wanted to be liked so badly and so he would begin to compromise and make compromises and eventually and my wife was telling me I think that this is not good we got to get him out of the school and and I I don't know whether I did it out of selfishness or just didn't want I I had grown up in homeschooling so I knew how much work that was and whatever the situation was I I just kept delaying pulling him out until finally we had no choice we had to get him out of there and the talons of the enemy had sunk so deeply into my son's heart. And when I watched him go through all the struggles of his life, he's only 22 years old. 
I felt very responsible because of where I had put him. Why I didn't make a different choice. And I, it's hurt my wife, you know, because anytime that your kid is hurt, you hurt. And I watched my wife brokenhearted, and I've just had to apologize to her over and over. That was my call, and it was the wrong call. And I'm sorry for that. Now, my son loves the Lord. He's at Highlands Bible College right now. He's doing well. It didn't end up with the loss of his life. But in the back of our head, we wondered whether it would. The enemy has come against Jonathan in a number of different ways. Just come against him in, in wicked, wicked ways. One day, we were driving here, and uh, we didn't see Jonathan one morning. Woke up, and his car was not, was not there. And I start looking for him, and his ping on his phone shows that he's down at Wishard Hospital. And so my heart goes nuts. You know, you know how that would affect you, right? My heart starts going nuts. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, he must have not come home last night and got into a car accident. And, and um, so I, I start calling Wishard Hospital. I get a hold of the chaplain. I'm calling the chaplains. I'm like, okay, do you have any kids in there? And, 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 I, and so said, well, give us a description of your son. So, okay, he's blonde. And, 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 and uh, the chaplain says, well, I'll, I'll, I'll go down there and I'll start looking. And uh, called us back. He said, does he have any tattoos? And I said, no tattoos. And he goes, okay, you're covered. We have two people in here. We don't know who they are, but they have tattoos. I'm like, I don't think he has any tattoos. <laughs> My... My heart was like down in my throat because I just, I just wondered whether my decisions, my failures as a father were going to come back on my son and then he was going to end up bearing. You know, you, you, you do the same thing that, that David does with Absalom here. He's my boy. doesn't matter how stupid they are. It's, he's your stupid kid. That's all that matters. And you love them. And you just want them to come home at night and be okay. And you pray that God will eventually get a hold of their heart and change their heart. And that's what David was holding out hope for. And now he knows that that's gone. And there's no chance. See, despite what other theologies may teach where you can pray somebody out of hell, or out of purgatory, there is no purgatory. And once this test called life is over, that's it. That's it. You've got this one life, and it's as brief as a vapor on a cold day. You have it, and it's gone. And David is overwhelmed with loss. Grief and loss. This is not just going to be this passage, but it's going to be next week too. I'm really, I, and I, I would encourage you, we say this, 
but you are able on our apps to go listen to the messages that belong to the other campuses. I don't know where my mom's preaching today because I haven't felt good. But wherever she's preaching, you want to listen to my mother. My mom has a special gift when it comes to grief and loss. And it's not an issue of if we go through grief and loss. It's just a matter of when. And you have to know how to do that in a right way. What David's going through right now is denial. They say there's about five different stages of grief and loss. There's denial and anger, bargaining, depression, finally acceptance. And you're going to see him go through this over the next, oh, over the next chapter. But loss is something that all, we, we, can, we can bear it in many ways. You know, if you go through a divorce, that's loss. If you go through the death of a dream, maybe a, um, maybe a bankruptcy could be like loss. Where you've had something die. And now you're like, how am I gonna, how am I gonna respond to this? Well, you go through some different, you go through some different stages of that. There are wounds that have to be met in in very tangible ways, and you gotta go through that with people in a healthy manner because avoidance is not the way to do it. There was a pastor, he was actually preaching on this passage, his name's Skip Heitzig. He said that his, his brother died, and his mother went and took down all the pictures of his brother in the house. Anything that, that looked like his brother took it all down, removed it all from the house. And so her sister came in to the house and says, where's that picture of your son? He says, oh no, it's too painful, I can't look at it. She says, well, you have to look at it. You go put that picture back up. That's your husband's son. That's your, that's your son's brother's. Your son's brother. You've got to do that. You've got to address the feelings of loss. You've got to do it. You've got to say what nobody wants to say. But that, that sister, she actually did the most loving thing there was to do. And, and, and he said, oh, how it healed our family. You know, I want you to see that time is ticking away for us to take advantage of the opportunities that we have. Will they repent? We don't know. But we better be given the good news. That's the full good news. Will they turn back to Jesus? We don't know. You can't just, you know, if, if the gospel message just ended with, hey, the son of David is dead, that wouldn't be such great news, would it? But there's one more part to the good news we get to carry. That's the son of David is not dead anymore. That Jesus resurrected and the good news we carry has real hope. And every one of us are the carriers of good news. Don't, don't just go out there talking about, don't go out there just talking about blessing. 
You have to have harder conversations. And they will be hard to hear. But they are the necessary conversations. And if you will have them, people's lives may be changed. Don't take the opportunity away from somebody because you think that they might not like what they hear. It doesn't matter whether they like it. It matters whether it's true. And when it's all said and done, I think more people, how, I mean, how can you really say you love someone apart from telling people the truth? I don't know how you can. And if somebody does tell you the truth in your life, be sure that you keep that person around in your life because a truth teller is worth their weight in gold. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.